Advice for operators flying U.S. presidential candidates across the country as we look toward next year's general election. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for the very latest business aviation news and information. The 2024 presidential campaign is well underway, and while campaign ads haven't quite yet swamped the airwaves, those seeking election to the highest office in the land are already crisscrossing the nation to shore up support and votes. That presents opportunities for business aviation operators who, even if they don't typically carry passengers for compensation, may do so in this circumstance under strict regulations from the Federal Election Commission, or FEC, as well as specific guidance from the FAA, IRS, and other agencies. To help navigate these nuances, I'm pleased to welcome Joanne Barbera, a founding partner at the law firm of Barbera and Watkins, and Jason Maddox, a shareholder at Garofalo Gorlick Hambach PC. Joanne, let me start with you. In researching this topic, I was kind of surprised to learn that most operators who fly candidates, especially in the early days of the campaign, are Part 91 operators. I expected they would be charter companies, but that's usually not the case. How might a non-commercial entity get selected to transport a presidential candidate? What's involved in that process? A lot of times for a Part 91 operator, a non-commercial operator, it's the candidate or a family member of the candidate who has the connection to the aircraft. It could be a friend of the candidate or even a well-known donor. Yeah, a campaign isn't necessarily going to reach out to a company or an individual with an aircraft that they have. There's no prior uh, relationship with. Usually, uh, like Joanne said, there's the company or the individual with the, the aircraft is a well-known donor or has done this before or has had, you know, just prior business dealings or other kind of dealings with that candidate, you know, in life outside of politics. The other situation we've seen is, especially at the federal level, several candidates are high net worth individuals themselves, and maybe they have their own aircraft or their, their companies have their own aircraft. So those get pulled into service when the, the campaign ramps up. That makes sense, Jason. So how does transporting a political candidate, Joanne, differ from perhaps using that aircraft for company purposes or for even flying another high profile or VIP passenger? The first thing is that the Federal Election Commission rules require payment by the candidate for transporting the candidate or the candidate's people. And so you have to look as a non-commercial operator at Federal Aviation Regulation 91.321 first to make sure that you can accept payment for the operation. The reason for the FEC rule is that a flight on an aircraft is an in-kind donation unless it's paid for by the candidate or the campaign. And so that's a violation of the rules generally. And so the payment is to avoid that in-kind contribution. The importance to the non-commercial operator is that under 91321, there's a special exception to the general rule of no compensation where the primarily non-commercial operator is carrying a candidate in an election and receiving not more than the payment required by law. So that is uh, an important regulation to look at first. 
Does that payment cover all costs associated with operating the aircraft? The Federal Election Commission rules are very specific on the remuneration or compensation required. The candidate must pay the full charter rate for aircraft of comparable size and trip, and that's the general rule. There is a specific rule where the candidate themselves owns or a family member owns the company or the share of the company operating the aircraft or owns the aircraft directly. But in the general rule category, it's the full charter rate for the aircraft of a comparable size and trip. I think it's important to understand that the, you know, the FAA promulgated this rule to, and really in deference to the FEC, understanding that FEC had this its own rule requiring compensation. And as we all know, generally Part 91 operators are not allowed to receive compensation for carrying uh, passengers uh, unless there's uh, the, that transportation meets one of the narrow exceptions in Part 91. And this happens to be one of those narrow exceptions. So it's a very brief rule on the FAA side. And it basically says for all the the terms that you, you see in the rule, such as what is the candidate, what is the agent for the candidate, person traveling on behalf of a candidate, these are only people allowed to be transported for compensation under this rule, and what is an election. Those, all, all those definitions that us lawyers love to, to read and analyze, the, you don't find those in the FAA rules. You have to look back to the FEC rules. So it's really a, a dual analysis that you have to undertake, an operating needs to undertake when making sure that they're not running afoul of the FAA rules. What about company policies regarding passenger carriage? Well, from a regulatory standpoint, again, you know, if you, a 91 operator can't carry passengers for compensation, that requires a license, and that's why you have commercial operators such as under Part 135. Uh, so that's the, the regulatory issue. I think if we're talking about you know, internal aircraft use policy that a lot of companies do have, uh, that's a separate analysis. More of this discussion after a brief word from NBAA. NBAA Flight Plan listeners, are you getting recognized for your leadership? NBAA now offers certificates and other credentials in safety, sustainability, and more. Visit nbaa.org to apply today. We're back now with Jason Maddox and Joanne Barbera and our conversation about business aviation operators transporting presidential candidates during the upcoming campaign season. Joanne, what security considerations should operators have in mind when transporting a presidential candidate? Well, a presidential candidate often travels with staff, security, and press. So the additional considerations are security-related in that you have to accommodate the candidate's security. You have to expect security on the departure end and on the arrival end from an airport standpoint. And also be more sensitive to aircraft tracking. If you are known to be carrying the candidate, there are some issues with blocking your end number in order to have the end number not be reported immediately on the official reporting sites. Uh, FlightAware is one of them, for example. And then because there are so many receivers now on the ground tracking aircraft, you might think about some other program to help with that live tracking issue. 
Just to clarify, you mentioned the LAD program, or Limiting Aircraft Data Displayed, which blocks operator information from commercial flight tracking sites. Another option that may be worth looking into would be the Privacy ICAO Address, or PIA program, which masks identifying information from commercial ADSB receivers. Jason, any other security-related considerations that come to mind? The companies or even the, the individuals who operate these often have their own existing security policies and procedures, and those won't necessarily differ that much when it's a candidate on board. They'll probably follow the same routine. I think, uh, like Joanne said, uh, the real issue is with security, often security details, and you have private security, you, you might have public security. Say if it's you know, a, a governor who's running for federal office, they, they might have state police security detail. And then uh, that really brings in the question of, is any of these security personnel armed? And uh, do they want to bring their arms on, on board the aircraft? And how, is, uh, how would that be dealt with? That's, that might be something companies don't normally deal with in their own security policies. So it's something that to uh, keep in mind, there's that added element. Right. And Joanne, I'd imagine all these factors can also potentially affect an operator's insurance policy. I reached out to a couple of aviation insurance brokers And really the question is, what additional requirements would there be from an insurance standpoint? One of them suggested checking in with your aircraft broker and talking with the underwriter about the carriage. The reason is that there is a range of types of policies out there. There's an all-purpose type policies, but you might have industrial aid or some sort of restriction on accepting compensation, particularly if it's at a charter rate for use of your aircraft. And that's something to clear with your insurance broker ahead of time. If an underwriter were to be specifically engaged on the topic, they might ask whether the individual has uh, higher liability limits that they want, or do they want to be an additional insured. And then to look also at your annual utilization, if you've made some assumptions in your policy about number of hours or places traveled and the candidate's travel does not fit the pattern, that's something the underwriter might think about. And then sort of as a general matter, you want to make sure that you avoid the get there-itis that might happen or might be a, an issue with a very tight campaign schedule and make sure you maintain your safe operations and your policies for go and no-go decisions. That's a really good point. Chances are the flight operation has that understanding with their company principle about when not to fly. But that pressure is magnified when you're dealing with a candidate trying to stick to a packed campaign schedule. Joanne, what tax liabilities should non-commercial operators be mindful of when transporting candidates? Well, a couple of things. Because the FEC rules generally require payment, it it also requires payment within seven days, so it's very quick. So there has to be documentation associated with that. And of course, with payment for air transportation of passengers, we have federal excise tax, and that's the 7.5% plus segment fees, tax associated with carriage of passengers on a commercial basis. And here we're talking about commercial from a tax standpoint. Also, for the non-commercial operators, I think you want to talk with your tax department. The additional costs that the company 
as with respect to use of the aircraft by the candidate may not be deductible from a tax standpoint as a political use of the aircraft. There may be some conversations to have about that as far as how that use of the aircraft is treated, but uh, that's something definitely to look at. And then kind of branching out a little bit from tax to talk about aircraft usage policies and citizenship of the company. That is a specific definition within the Federal Aviation Act. So if it's a corporation and you have to meet all the tests for a citizen, if you're a corporation or LLC or some other association. So the corporation or LLC has to be organized in the United States. The president has to be a citizen of the United States. Two-thirds of the board of directors and managing officers have to be citizens of the United States. And at least 75% of the shareholders or ownership and control has to be citizens of the United States. So if the aircraft does not meet those requirements, or if the aircraft is not U.S. registered, that's another issue to think about, but then you cannot carry candidates or accept compensation for a carriage of candidates. You'd be surprised at how many companies do not meet the U.S. citizenship rule, either because the president is not a U.S. citizen or because of, you know, multinational ownership of the company. So it's something to definitely look at before you agree to take on this type of carriage. The other issue is some companies have policies that they do not carry political candidates. And that's the thing to look at as well. Yeah, a lot of companies do have their own aircraft use policies. They may not want to, from an optic standpoint, be seen as endorsing one candidate or one party over the other. And as we know, a lot of companies keep all their options open and they donate to, to both sides of the aisle. And then as Joe mentioned, yeah, the, the, the foreign civil aircraft, this is one of the places where you know, we're primarily part of any one operation is you're dealing with FAA rules. But when it's a foreign civil aircraft, and again, that can be a foreign registered aircraft or a U.S. registered aircraft that's operated by a non-U.S. citizen company or, or individual, that this is one of the places where DOT rules come in under Part 375, which govern the operation of, of foreign civil aircraft. And Part 375 does authorize a lot of different types of operations for foreign civil aircraft, but Carrying candidates for reimbursement is not one of those. So uh, definitely, as Joey mentioned, you got to be mindful of that. Jason, so far we focused on non-commercial operators flying candidates around the country, but there are Part 135 companies that perform these flights as well. What's different with those operations compared to Part 91? The good thing is, you know, as a commercial operator under 135, uh, you are completely free to to charge uh, what the market bears uh, as far as the charter rate goes and and charter to these these campaigns that's the whole point you you have your license from FA and DOT and uh, that's uh, where you're just doing a regular charter uh, what you do have to be mindful of is again there can be these other groups uh, especially with presidential campaigns that uh, under their own rules or their own policies, they are required to reimburse for their transportation. And, you know, we're talking again about uh, uh, security details, if it's uh, public, publicly provided security, such as the Secret Service or uh, state police. 
they are often required under their rules to reimburse for their personnel's transportation. And the same is true with press. If you're carrying press on board, uh, most, I would say, you know, the major news outlets have their own internal policies that, you know, they can't be seen as giving in-kind contributions either. They need to pay for their transportation. But under 135, under commercial rules, that would be, you know, paying these multiple parties paying on, on board the same aircraft that negates this being a single entity charter. And you might run afoul then of, of DOT's charter rules by having these multiple individuals each paying for their transportation. Joanne, what operational considerations may be different for a charter company flying these candidates? I think that um, from a documentation standpoint, the commercial operators are more used to the types of documentation that you would need for the payment for the type of carriage being given. I think that uh, certainly from a tax standpoint, the federal excise tax reporting, collection and remittance requirements are definitely very familiar to charter operators. Are there any differences in security procedures? We see both private operators and commercial operators as being very secure and security sensitive and savvy. So I, I don't know that there would be more expertise there, but perhaps the commercial operators would have more direct communication with the airport or airport facilities on a regular basis. And they might have their own TSA security program too that they need to follow, but these operators are used to carrying these VIPs who might have their own security detail and therefore it's not necessarily outside their their normal operating procedures even to to comply with the TSA security program. Great points. So Jason, what might change for operators, whether commercial or non-commercial, when the candidate they're transporting becomes their party's nominee? You do see a pivot for the candidates who are going to be the nominee or who are the nominee pivot from using private part 91 transportation to commercial operations. I think that's done for, for many reasons. Usually their, their entourages grow and they, they need more capacity for, for one. Uh, so they do pivot and start chartering more, if not exclusively, for their air, air transportation. And in recognition of that, every presidential cycle going back, many presidential cycles, DOT, the Department of Transportation, has recognized that pivot. And they have come out with a waiver, uh, usually in the December preceding the actual election year, and this waiver allows 135 operators and 121 operators and a few other commercial operators to address that issue that I, I raised earlier about multiple parties trying to all compensate the air carrier, the, the commercial operator. And this waiver basically allows that. It removes that prohibition of under a single entity charter, it should be just one charter, or one entity paying. It removes that kind of prohibition on receiving multiple payments from uh, multiple parties in recognition that the, you know, the candidates, uh, usually when you are the, the official party candidate, that you are assigned a secret service detail if you haven't already been assigned that. Secret service requires reimbursement for their transportation. And then, of course, you have the, the press traveling with you and the, the press also usually wants to compensate for their, their travel as well. That is something I've noticed over the years. The planes get bigger as we move toward the general election. Joanne, anything else you'd like to share? I would give a shout out to NBAA. There is on the website a white paper, FEC regulations for carriage of federal political candidates. That's very helpful. 
the 91-321 rule and many of the issues also relate to other types of candidates in elections. And so it's addressed more broadly in that resource. That NBAA white paper on FEC regulations for transporting candidates is available at nbaa.org forward slash FEC. Among the topics covered in the white paper involves FEC-required disclosures of companies providing transportation to candidates. Regulations require federal candidates to maintain and report records of the aircraft operator and the size, make, model, and tail number of the aircraft used to travel. And with privacy a key concern for many non-commercial operators, it's important to be aware of this ahead of time. Also, keep in mind that this isn't just an issue surrounding federal elections. Candidates for state and local offices often use business aviation too, and those flights need to comply with the appropriate cost reimbursement and other associated rules for your area. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device. Of course, you can also download Flight Plan directly from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan. Sending out 3,500. Uh, we got him inside. We're still on a factor 170.